to another edition of the Unicorns Podcast. This is a podcast series featuring business leaders, motivators, innovators, and general go-getters. Today's guest on the Unicorns is Barbara Hyman, the CEO of Predictive Hire. Barb is a former lawyer, consultant with BCG, and she's had a multitude of leadership roles across tech, the arts, and professional services. Barb now runs Predictive Hire, one of the hottest tech companies in Australia at the moment. And I'm very pleased to say she joins me now. Barbara Hyman, welcome to the Unicorns. Thanks so much, Justin. And I'll say only my dad calls me Barbara. You can call me Barb. I'll call you Barb. My mum is Barb. So very good. Now I'm intrigued. Predictive Hire, tell me about it. How does it work? So look, we're a tech startup um, that's based in Melbourne. We've been around for a couple of years. Um, We're a team of just over 30 now, and we are solving the very big problem of how to find the right talent in a way that is fair, that candidates love, that saves organisations a truckload of time. Okay. So if I'm applying for a job, how do I know if uh, predictive hire is at work? Because you'll love it. Um, If you're applying for a job at Qantas, Bunnings, Woolworths is about to go live, you know, a whole bunch of really well-known trusted consumer brands. What will happen is instead of the usual process where you fill out truckloads of forms on a really dull system and share a CV and hear nothing back, Mm. what what will happen is pretty quickly you'll be asked to have a chat Um, and it's a chat by chat on a mobile phone and you can do it on the couch, you know, on the tram and it'll be five really engaging questions that our chatbot will ask you. Our chatbot's called Fi. And those questions are questions that you might get asked if you're actually having an interview. And the whole point is for a lot of our clients, they just don't have the bandwidth all the time to interview everyone. But they're lucky enough to get thousands of applicants and the best talent could be number 1,001 or 100,001, so how do you make sure you interview them and find that great talent? And that's what we do. And so the candidate answers these five questions. It's untimed, not pressured. It's not, it's blind. So one of the things that, you know, we've seen a big trend in the last year in hiring because of COVID is video hiring, which is really just an easy way to build in bias. So the whole point of this is don't judge people by what they look like because it really doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. or their gender or their race use genuinely blind tools. So that's that's the beauty of chat. But what's really awesome for the job seeker, for you, Justin, is you're going to get back this profile in about 20 minutes. Everyone gets it, you know, all thousands and 100,000s that complete the application. Yes. And it's going to tell you about yourself just in a few insights. It'll give you some coaching tips and you will walk away from that and go, holy moly, I just learned something about myself I didn't know. Or how did you do it? You know, I only wrote 200 words. How did you figure out so much about me from that? Or you'll say, wow, I never knew how to articulate myself and my strengths until now. Thank you so much. So that aspect of it is completely transformational for the candidates. And I think in a world of it's a pretty dehumanising process right now, getting a job and applying for a job. Hmm. You're probably filling out 50 applications. You might hear back from a handful and you're lucky enough to get hopefully a job in time. What we've done is 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 just made it a really 
um, learning, you know, empowering, uh, engaging experience. And that that's the beauty of it for, for businesses that get a lot of applicants that really care about their experience. Because that's often one of the big criticisms, isn't it? Certainly from job seekers that they will spend, you know, they're, they're, they're anxious, they're looking for their next opportunity, and they might spend hours and hours and hours applying for roles, and they never hear anything back. It just goes into a vacuum of nothingness. And, you know, that doesn't help anyone, does it? Exactly. You know, if you went out on the street now and did a street talk, you know, just um, doorstop conversations with people, you'll find a whole lot, I'm sure, that have gone through an application process. And I can almost guarantee you and say that 99.9% will say it's been pretty poor and and, Mm. and quite a diminishing experience. And we're talking about like where we play is really low-skilled hiring. So you're thinking about 14-year-olds, 16-year-olds, you know, young people who've lost jobs, older people who've lost jobs, um, you know, a lot of people who are English as a second language, who are desperate, you know, a job for them is food um, yes. and their family's livelihood. And, and it's diminishing and dehumanising the way that they're ghosted. So what we're doing is, is you know, ending ghosting. We're giving everyone a fair go. You know, a big part of it is that we get this feedback from candidates. It's amazing where they say things like, I, I have a stutter and, and I just never felt comfortable on video and this is so much more comfortable or I'm Indigenous and I've always felt nervous about being on video and scared of bias, mm. um, or I'm old, you know, and I love the fact that no one knows this when I'm applying for the job. And obviously one of the things that we do is a lot of testing around does this work for everyone? Does this work for people with dyslexia, autism, different socioeconomic backgrounds? And in all cases the technology has been found to be unbiased and fair. Yeah. So it's really making sure that you get the best talent, but also everyone gets a fair go. So if if we go to the other end of that, if you're the business that is looking for the candidate and through, through the funnel, you might get whatever it might be, five or 10 applicants. What do, what do they see? Do they, do they finally get to know that it's, you know, Joe Smith or Jane Doe applying for, applying for the role? What, what detail do they do they get initially? Yeah. Well, the, the first thing is for them, the reason they're doing it is that, you know, for a lot of these roles, they don't have the time to read a CV. No yep. time yep. to do well by reading CVs. And so they turn up to work, open their laptop, and they see a list, a ranking, a score, and a profile. And so basically their work is done. They don't do any CV screening. They're not getting on the phone. You know, the whole point is that if I'm going to put – you know, eight people in front of you to interview, I want you to hire eight, you know, not two. So, you know, time is everything, right? Like that's the asset none of us have. So we're saving a lot of time for them and a lot of time for the business. And whether or not they see the name, it really depends on whether this is integrated into their system. Um, It's up to them whether that's blind at that level. But the main thing is that who they see at the top of the list is not going to be driven by a human, right, because humans are, like it or not, horribly biased and they are. yes that's true that is true yeah. um and you can't train us out of our biases so how then is that that score or that ranking derived is it is it the parameters that are set by the business about what's what's important for that particular role 
Yeah, so if you think about roles and what defines success, putting aside, you know, particular technical expertise, like are you great at coding, et cetera, it's usually around traits and behaviours. So if you think of, say, grads, you know, what do you want in a graduate? You want someone who's accountable, who, you know, is going to take real responsibility for their work. You want someone who's curious, they're a learner. Uh, you want someone who plays well with team members, who has humility, you know, open to learning. It's really a set of personality traits. And what we've built is unique globally in that we're able to extrapolate from the 200 words you write where you are on that spectrum of traits. So we can tell from what you write, you know, how extroverted are you? How strong are you in critical thinking? How much of a team player you are? And that is the IP that we've really built over the last two years that comes from a combination of um, natural language processing, which is really the main technology innovation we rely on, and our own experiments and inventions in being able to convert text into insight, um, basically your personality and your communication skills. And that's what we've productized and that's what we give to both you as a candidate by way of feedback and also to the organization by way of a ranking and a profile. And is that what is commonly known as AI? Is that is that a fair description of, of, of the technology that you're using? Um, it is. Look, I think there's a lot of mystery and myths, aren't there, around what is AI? Um, you know, the way I think about AI is it's very much about pushing the boundaries of what's possible in terms of being able to predict an outcome from, you know, inputs that you're putting into that process. So probably 50 years ago, you know, you'd look at a calculator and you say, well, that's artificial intelligence because, you know, it's doing what humans can't do. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And, and then, you know, right now what we're doing is artificial intelligence, but it may not be in 20 years' time. You know, I guess the ones we all know of are things like self-driving cars where they really mm. are doing something that, you know, is beyond the power of what a human can do. And I, I guess that that's the beauty of using automation and AI in this space, which is, you know, no recruiter will ever be as obviously consistent and fast and fair in, you know, processing all of those responses as what a computer will be. So, you know, a big part of what we talk to HR teams about is let the technology do what that does brilliantly and, you know, it's your co-pilot and you do what you do well that technology doesn't well uh, doesn't do well. So, you know, we take care of that top of the funnel screening, mm. which is really painful and really important to do fast and well and fairly, and then, you know, you take care of the rest. So there's always a human involved. I think, I think AI is too early to be unsupervised by a human, like we would encourage anyone who uses this tech to have a human at the end who has the final say in terms of a conversation, but instead of having to interview a thousand, you know, you're yes. free to get two. Yeah. So I'm sure you've been asked this question before. How, how do we know that the tech and the expertise that you are applying to uh, this business is correct? So that, that is a question I wish more would ask. Um, to be honest, Justin, I think you know, there's a real maturity curve in this in this in this HR space that's quite different, you know, by geography. We work with businesses in Australia, New Zealand, you know, UK and the US, and and I, I you know, we want more HR leaders to ask that. So actually, what we've done because we we're, we're totally cognizant that there's a lot of fear 
around AI. Um, people talk about the Amazon case a while back where, you know, it's it's like now five, six years ago, obviously technology moves on fast, where they built an algorithm to predict who would be great in their organisation based on CVs. And yep. the issue with CVs is they've got latent signals around a whole, a whole lot of things, you know, um, your gender, your race, maybe your socioeconomic status. And even if you remove the name, you're still feeding the machine with a whole lot of potentially you know, irrelevant and biased data. And that's what they found. They didn't never used it, by the way, um, but uh, they did an experiment to see can we predict who's great from a CV. So we recognised like they did that with great power, to quote Spider-Man, comes great <laughs> responsibility. And so one of the things we've done is because reality is technology is way ahead of regulation. Yes. And so, you know, we self-regulate and self-assess and we, we want and encourage all vendors to do that and obviously all buyers to do that. So we just put out a standard which we hope will become, you know, the starting point for a global standard around responsible use of AI and what questions you should ask. And there's there's two dimensions. One is around the product, the technology, and the four things that we look at and that we self-assess and we declare publicly about is, is this thing inclusive? You know, does it work for everyone? And we have measures around that. Is it valid? Is it actually scientifically based in, in anything? Mm. And, you know, we're, I think, the only vendor in this space that has published our science. And, you know, science, it, it needs to be um, challengeable, right? If that's such a word, you know, the only way you can... Exactly, it yeah. Science, yep. it. Yep. Um, it needs to be explainable. A big part of what we think is important in this space is, you know, and I come from HR, right? My background is not data science or engineering. It's as an HR leader. And I think trust trust in management, trust in decisions, trust is so important to your culture, to, you know, your brand, your employer mm -hmm. brand, is you're not going to trust something if you don't understand it. And if you can't explain it, you don't understand it. Yeah. So we, we've chosen an approach which doesn't use, for instance, deep learning models like some of the others in this place and in, in this space. And, and it's, it's relatable, right? Read the responses. All the responses a candidate gives are visible to you. And so you can assess for yourself, why does the algorithm suggest Justin's ace, you know, 90? Um, I want to see why. And, and so that explainability is important. Um, and then we also think apart from the technology, we also think you should look at the organization. And so, you know, that's around data security and privacy, because you know, you're talking about people data and I think people legitimately are very fearful and protective of their data and what it's used for. So we think that's a really important area to dive into. Um, also around transparency, how transparent is the organisation with how their technology works, with their bias testing. And the other one which is increasingly coming up is the team diversity. You know, you probably okay. know in the series yeah. about um, when they built... Um, uh, video capability on YouTube all those years ago, what they built was by engineers who were all right-handed and it didn't work for left-handed people. And there's this reality that if you only have one type who are coding, you may just neglect, you know, the broader population. And so <laughs> Left-handers have always been copying it, haven't they? Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's right. Um, so, you know, we think it's really important that you have a diverse team diversity really broadly defined so you're not you know we don't want to create another social dilemma right like that yep. movie yep. if you watched it it's it's a bunch of you know I white did. men mm. between a certain age who are the protagonists right and so that's when you create the issues when you're only looking at things through one lens so 
So we think team diversity is important too. So I suppose the proof is in the pudding. You mentioned at the start a number of the customers, clients you're, you're working with, but but what is what is their feedback? What what give me a give me a range of like when you started to where you are now about that that process of using predictive hire to to onboard to find their their next staff. So let's take Qantas because they've been using us for a few years and I think they're yep. a pretty well-known brand. And, yes. you know, um, for them, it, you wouldn't believe the number of people that want to work for Qantas. This is pre-COVID. Yes. So, you know, international cabin crew, I think, is one of the most sought-after jobs in the world when you look at how many people apply. And for them, it's so critical. They're a brand that's all about service. Yep. And for them, they were using video before they used us because they had to use something, right? They're too big yep. and, and, and you know, volumes are too large to just rely on people doing the screening. And they also were very concerned around fairness. You know, Alan Joyce is probably the most well-known protagonist in Australia for diversity and inclusion. Hmm. So they had to solve for that. And what they found with video was people didn't feel safe. They felt self-conscious about filming themselves and... Um, uh, and they had to watch the videos, which is, you know, why would you bother using a technology if it doesn't actually give you any efficiency gains? So they were desperate for a solution that candidates loved, that delivered, mm-hmm. you know, if the, the right profile of people in a way that was truly fair. So we started working with them now two and a half years ago and just actually last week their global head of talent, and it's been a tough year for them, right? Of course, um, the yes. global head of yeah. talent has sort of called us out on, on LinkedIn about the value that they'd had. And for him, it's about mobile first because that's how people live. Yes. Um, it's about candidates loving it and giving them something back because, you know what, whilst everyone wants to work for Qantas and is a consumer of Qantas' services, only a few will get a job because that's the reality. Um, and that was really important that no matter what, even if you didn't get a job, you still felt great about the experience. Yes. And then at the end of the day that the team look at that list and go, wow, these are great people and we can move them forward really quickly. Because one of the things with Qantas is, you know, sometimes they just need a lot of people really fast, right? Like, you know, routes exactly. change yep. and they might need, you know, 40 people, 50 people. And so the ability to quickly move people through and find that best talent but feeling confident that they love it was super important. So that's probably the, you know, one in particular that's long That's a great example. That's a, that's a really good yeah. example. And the other one, you know, that I'm really proud of is Bunnings. So Bunnings, um, yeah. oh my God, people love Bunnings. And Bunnings has this great stat, which is that, you know, Bunnings could be your first job or your last job, right? They really care yeah. about age diversity and they care about Indigenous hiring. And they were passionate about how do we have a way of, you know, enticing Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders to actually apply and making sure they get through, you know, because it's there. So they've, you know, practically doubled their hiring of Indigenous applicants because of our technology. So that that to us is a game changer. You know, Mm. we've made a difference in terms of equitable outcomes and that, that, that makes us feel good but obviously really helps them. And presumably that's for a variety of roles, whether it's, you know, floor staff or, you know, in the loading docks or, you know, head office or, you know, wherever. It's it's um it's all over the all over the business. Yeah, we normally start in the really high volume space. But what we're finding is that they customers love the experience so much for the candidates they roll it out across the business. Okay. Another good example is Tennis Oz, Tennis Australia, who used yep. us for their AO recruitment. And their uh, CEO yeah. is is if you've heard of have you heard of Mel Champions of Change? 
Yes. Yes. Yeah. So Craig Tilley um, is one of the early members of that and he was really passionate about, you know, if in tennis we're all about equitable pay for men and women, we need to also have equity in our own business. You know, how do we make sure that whether you're male or female, you know, white or Asian, you get a fair go at a job? And so for him it was about mirroring their, you know, kind of consumer brand, if you like, about equity with what they do internally. And so for him it was therefore we need everyone to go through this to make sure that, you know, anyone who wants to work for our organisation gets a go regardless of race and gender. So, you know, sometimes you get the CEOs involved who have a real passion and mission around DNI that um, help move it more quickly to the whole organisation, not just where the, you know, the high volume is. And have you had an example of someone who's got the feedback from an application using your tech and the, the information back might have suggested perhaps you need to work on a particular area. Let's, let's just say, you know, team building skills. And then they've, they've gone and done that and as a result landed a job elsewhere. Like have you, have you found examples where the feedback and the constructive criticism, I suppose, has actually helped them land a, a job elsewhere? Look, we don't know that. Um, you know, the candidates are not ours, so to speak. You know, they belong yeah. to, the, to the customer. So, you know, and, and, and so our job is to help them understand themselves and they may go and apply for a different role based on the feedback. What you raise is really interesting, which is, you know, we think that apart from solving for the pain of, you know, finding the best talent and doing it with an awesome experience, there's a whole application here for the human, you know, the individual, the job seeker, the graduate, the employee to, to kind of really self-discover their path. And we're, we're thinking about how do we build that out? How do we make sure, Justin, that if you apply and, um, you know, you get coached and that coaching might that's, not be Yes, enough, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So um, I don't want to say much more, but we're doing quite a lot of research in that area and we think that's a really powerful application, which is, you know, imagine not just CEOs having their own coach, but every person in the world having their own personalised coach. How do you counter uh, criticism from whether it's, you know, recruiters or HR, whomever it might be, that say, well, you can't beat the human touch. Yeah, it's okay to have this technology, but at the end of the day, it's a person-to-person, hiring is a person-to-person experience and we don't believe in what you're doing. Uh, look, and we get that. Uh, I yeah. think one is you do the maths, which is, you know, we did this for our largest customer who is um, in the UK, a huge grocery retailer, and they get, you know, a million applicants a year that we worked out wow. we have a yeah. full-time team of 120 people just mm. doing interviews. Mm. And so it's impossible, right? Like what we're solving for is yeah. something that is humanly impossible. And then what I'd say is, look, it's in the bias, the bias side, you know, there's, there's 160 biases that we have that you can look up in Wikipedia and, you know, the unconscious bias is unconscious, which means you can't do anything about it in terms of training. And you don't know it's there. Yeah. Yeah. The UK government last December announced that they were defunding all unconscious bias training across the civil service because they did their extensive research. They'd invested a heap and discovered that it made no difference. It didn't change people's mindsets. Mm. So if, you know, I think it's about really accepting the truth of 
if it's unconscious, you know, no amount of training will address it. And if you really want to get the best talent, then you need to find something that sits before the human that can deliver that Mm. talent to you. And it's, you know, it's interesting. I think, I think Australia is a bit more advanced in that awareness than some other markets. I I noticed, interestingly, Netflix just put out their um, inclusion report, which is their first DNI scorecard, if you like. Okay. Um, And they had one page about how they deal with bias, and it was their 200 recruiters. So what's that, 100,000 a pop? That's a lot of money on recruiters who were trained in how to to sort of manage their own biases and ask the right questions. And I just think, wow, (laughs) one of the most sophisticated organisations in the world is you know, stuck in a in a in an in an eighties kind of experience. Um, so, you know, I, I I was really and it's really interesting to me. A, a lot of companies in the US are still living on CVs, you know, as their reference point. Um, yes. Certainly in Australia and the UK, we find that they are you know most sophisticated HR leaders will recognise that CVs are not are not a you know reliable reference point, and obviously, no one's time is served well by screening CVs. So let's let's extrapolate uh, this out a little further. So you're you've got a global footprint, you've got a lot of um, flagship customers, but but what is what is the future of of this technology in in the HR space and and hiring people? Where where can it go? Well, so I have my own views on this. I guess coming from HR, which is. Um, you know, if you think about the reality of distributed work now, like, you know, remote work, working from home is, is here to stay. It's not going to go away. And and I think people want to have something in their hands, the individual that can help them, you know, that's really like their seer, you know, their guide, um, because they're not going to be in the workplace. Their manager may not have bandwidth and may not be very good at having those conversations. You know, how many people think their managers are awesome at development and coaching? I don't know what that number is, but I, I, you know, I, I think not, not, not more than fifty percent. Yeah. And so, you know, for us, it's about um, the ability to give technology that empowers the individual to figure out their career journey instead of relying on expensive, orchestrated HR functions and processes that kind of make those decisions for you. So, I think the future is one of people getting back their agency via AI mm. when for the most part AI has been used to weaponize us, you know, in the world of Facebook, et cetera. So I, I think we've built something that's actually AI for good. Um, and at, it's at a level where people use it um, 24-7 um, whenever they need to. It's obviously personalized. You're never going to get that with a person. Yeah. Um, you're never going to get that kind of scale. And and I think it, it, it not so much is going to remove the manager role, but I think it's going to significantly enhance people's ability to find the right job, be successful in that job, more than what these, you know, manual substandard practices do now. So that that's what I'm excited about. I think it's a massive accelerant for individual career success. And give us a sense, Barb, of the the size and scale of your operation now, both in terms of you know boots on the ground, um, employee wise within Predictive Hire, and and some of the some of your your flagship um, clients, whether they're you, they're currently working with you or um, going to onboard soon. Yeah, 
Um, so we've just gone through a big hiring spurt because we had a huge year last year. Um, yeah. You know, I think Black Lives Matter and the, 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 the absolute desperation for something to interrupt bias was a big driver as well as obviously the, the efficiency side. Yes. So we have a team now, obviously, in Oz, which we've had for a while, um, which services Australia and New Zealand. We have a team now in the UK we've built on the ground. And we've also put someone on the ground in the Philippines because, you know, that's a market with 4 million people who work in customer service roles. And we see that exactly. as a yes. opportunity. Yep. Um, we have someone who we're also partnering with in the US and a global partner in Randstad, which is a big RPO that works with, you know, all sorts of amazing brands around the world that has really embraced our technology and sees it as a core part of their, you know, offer to their clients around the world. So we work both direct as well as via channels. And in terms of clients, look, you know, three of the most trusted consumer brands in Australia trust us with the uh, technology to find them great talent. We're about to bring on a slam dunk unicorn, uh, which I'm excited to share the news we'll right. about that in a couple of weeks. Watch um, this space. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the, the organisations that we would all identify with, like Medibank, Energy Australia, Spark New Zealand, um, Crown, Casino, and uh, in the UK, we work with Telefonica, a really big retailer called Iceland, um, and uh, a number of others, uh, including BNB Paribas. So we're, we're typically focused on enterprise because their 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 problem and pain is bigger in terms of volumes. We focus on consumer brands because they get that the candidate experience is really critical. You know, when you think about it, how much does marketing spend to get a million people? In store, millions, <laughs> millions. A lot, a just lot, by yeah. choosing your recruitment tool, you can actually help marketing. So mm. you know, I think smart HR leaders are recognizing the value of the right tech for both them and the business. So you know, retail, hospitality, um, you know, that's that's our sweet spot. But particularly consumer brands, we work with government too, by the way. So yes. um, the ATO has been using us for their graduate recruitment. New Zealand Police, which we love because we all love their ads and the brand. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> they are good. Yeah, government cares a lot about bias and interrupting bias and obviously data-driven decision-making. So we're, we're hopeful that we'll, you know, we'll, we'll build out some even bigger relationships in government this year, but particularly focused on the consumer brands in those big markets. And what about... Um without going into obviously too many details, have you had to raise uh, private capital to keep the business going? Are you are you well-funded? Are you thinking, you know, an IPO at any stage without sort of getting ahead of ourselves? Like what what's the, like corporately, what's, what's the plan? Yeah, look, definitely not IPO in the near term. You know, we feel like we've got a lot we still want to do. Yes. Um, in terms of building out the product, there's so much to come on our, you know, journey with our customers. Um, so I, I'm fortunate that we've got some great investors, you know, people like Lee Jasper, who was the founder of Aconex, uh, someone I've known for a long time, really smart, you know, other people like Rupert Meyer. Um, we've got a couple of VCs on board, but we did a raise towards the end of last year um, just because we'd had such a huge growth year and it just made a lot of sense to, to back that up. Um, yep. And we're, what we'd love is to get, you know, a, 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 probably an international investor in next to really help us accelerate offshore when we do our Series B, which will will be um, probably 2022. Fantastic. Well, Barb, it's an amazing story. And I think everyone will agree that it's certainly predictive hire 
is a business to watch not only this year, but in, in the years ahead. And we wish you uh, all the very best uh, with the journey with Predictive Hire, and we will be watching with interest. Barb Hyman from Predictive Hire, the, the CEO and guru of the business, thanks so much for joining us on the Unicorns today. Thanks so much, Justin. Thank you.